Hi, everyone. This is Dawn Richard, also known as The Awakening with Dawn, and this is the Wake Up to Real Love podcast, where we share stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. I am super excited and honored today to welcome my guest, Mark Gway. Welcome, Mark. Hello. Thanks so much for having me, Dawn. Really looking forward to it. I'm really excited. I am so I have so many questions for you. I know that one hour is not going to be enough. <laughs> I'm happy to go wherever you'd like. Let's see where this goes. Um, Mark is a meditation teacher and performance coach based in San Diego. And you can listen to his manifestation meditations for free on Insight Timer. He has a depth and breadth of work that is phenomenal. So I'm excited for you to share all your great stuff. So welcome, Mark. Thank you so much. Looking forward to being here. Love what you built. Um, I love the concept of real love. Looking forward to kind of expanding on that. And with my journey, that phrase has come to mean a lot. So really honored to be here. Thank you so much, Tom. Thank you. Okay, so my little first icebreaker question is why in the world would you want to swim a 10K in the Hudson River? (laughs) Oh, you've done some research. Oh my gosh, that's hysterical. Uh, You know, that's a great question. That's a great question. You know, I don't know why I did that, uh, except to say that I, at a time in my life, I loved pushing the body as far as I could. And it was a breakthrough part of my evolution in my life where I realized, holy moly, I can actually push this body way further than I thought. Uh And so the body was simply a medium to see what I could really do in this life. And so I was really big in endurance sports. I was a competitive triathlete, a USA triathlon coach, and I had done a marathon and then ran 10 more miles after finishing the Philly marathon. I had Are gone you to, serious? Yes. I had gone to, <laughs> I had gone to the Pyrenees. I rode you know, where Armstrong was written in chalk uh, in the Pyrenees mountains and you know, and then I said, okay, what next? Because I was constantly, you know, looking for what else can More I do? Challenge, yeah. And I heard about a 10K swim and I thought, oh, geez, 6.2 miles in water. That, that sounds crazy. And then it was one in the river and I had lived north of New York City. Uh-huh. So where I lived, the river wasn't really that bad. In fact, I would paddleboard on it. I would Actually, where I lived, I would paddleboard across the river and go and meet friends for lunch and just like park my paddleboard and then come back. Uh So swimming in the Hudson felt fine. Yet when I was doing it, it was definitely tasting the gasoline and going, what am I doing here? And so I'll never do it again, but it was fantastic. Had a great time and survived with several hundred people where we swam underneath the George Washington Bridge and it was a great time overall. That's crazy. I, 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 when, when I read that, I went, oh my gosh, swimming 10K is swimming uh-huh. six miles, right? Uh-huh. Yes. So yep. I just came back from a Camino in Portugal and Spain where I you walked, the I walked, I, well, I walked a third of it. Um, so I walked 275 kilometers in 12 days. Did you just do it? I just came back uh, the beginning of October. My two of my friends literally were just doing it at the same time. So we'll have to, yeah, we'll have to find out if there's any crossover there, but that's beautiful. What a, an amazing, amazing spiritual walk. Yeah. So when, when I read yours, I was like, oh my gosh, I wonder 
Like what, what were you thinking? What was, I mean, did you have time to think? Was it meditative when you were swimming? You know, running, biking, swimming really to me became a meditation. Uh-huh. And I was a big fan of Lance Armstrong back in the day. And I remember when I was reading his memoir and he talked about what do you think about when you're on the bike? He said, uh-huh. you know what I think about? Up, down, and forward. Uh-huh. And when I would run, bike, or swim, it was always this meditative process of it stopped the monkey mind. And I was able to literally just think about, okay, right arm, left arm, right arm, left arm. And really that's it. And for the three hours or whatever it took me to swim that particular swim, that's what I had thought about. And so it really is a beautiful form of meditation if you approach it so. Yeah. So that, I mean, that meditation, I had to do that several times along my way because oh, it was, that was the most challenging thing I've ever done. What, now, which part of the El Camino were you on again? Say that again. I, I did the coastal route from Portugal through Spain. So it was yeah. a lot around the, you know, a lot along the coast and then up through the mountains. We had to cross yep. the water um, into Spain and uh, that's beautiful. It was incredible. So that's it was like amazing, 15 amazing miles area. a day. Yeah, it was really gorgeous. Wow. Yeah. So I was pretty proud of myself. You should be. I, <laughs> I look forward to doing that one day in my life. When I rode my bike there, there were people who were doing it. And that's where I learned about the El Camino. I didn't know what it was at the time. Yeah. And what I loved about meeting those people is the mindful reason and approach to why they were there. And yeah. it was, and I just kept thinking, oh my God, how incredible it would be to walk this, not just for myself, but also to meet the other people who decided that this is for me right now. So I really honor you for doing that. That's really beautiful. Thank you. It was a beautiful, beautiful experience. And I think I'm going to do it at least one or two more times. I'd like to do the whole thing, mm-hmm. which takes, you know, like probably five weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so once my daughter, once my youngest daughter is out of the house, then I'll have more time and freedom to, you know, just be. Maybe you can take others that listen to this podcast. Yeah. Ooh, that would be great. That would <laughs> that be would. great actually, because this is one of the things that, that, um, that I want to do because uh-huh. I'm going to ask you at the end, how do you define real love? And mm-hmm. I would love to have this worldwide, you know, question, hey, how do you define real love? How do you define real love? Because it's really interesting, everybody's different perspectives. Absolutely. Yeah. So how did you how did you get into meditation? I got into meditation, I was studying actually at the University of Hawaii, and I grew up in Buffalo, New York. Mm-hmm. And so going off to Hawaii was kind of my first place to really grow outside of parental control and also the, you know, where I lived. So it was my first time on my own, really experiencing what it meant to, to live on my own, right? In mm-hmm. terms of paying for rent and, and all of that and where to get food. Becoming and an adult. Completely. And it was what I needed to do and why studying abroad, I think, is, is really crucial for most people. And uh, it was a very difficult time in my life. So my father, long story there, but it was sort of learning to come around to be able to forgive my father for not being there and the the things in which he said to my mother when I was growing up. And unfortunately, at that time, too, my uh, my mother was growing into a habit of animal hoarding. Mm. So there was some a lot of things going on in my life. And I was 
I've always been interested in why am I here? What's, what is there for me to learn? Yeah. And fortuitously at that time, I was introduced to Zen meditation. My friend's father was a Zen master and he taught me meditation. And so it was then that I picked up a book. I think it was called Buddhism is Not What You Think by uh-huh. Steve Hagen, I believe. And I said, okay, what is this meditation thing? This is interesting. And in Hawaii, it was kind of normal. In Buffalo, New York, no one practiced meditation, at least where I lived. While they're shoveling snow. Yeah, exactly. Well, like Chicago, you get it. So I would go, I would run. This is when I first started running. I would run a mile to the beach and it was a hell of a workout at that point in time. A mile was a lot. Yeah. And I would find this beautiful uh, kind of cove that was mine. No one else was there and there'd be a couple surfers out, but really I was quite alone. And I would start practicing Zazen, which is a Zen form of meditation. And in those six months that I would do that, it was utterly profound, not only to connect me to nature, but connect me to what I felt was God and the spirit, and also to really focus the mind and come to a relationship with the concept of monkey mind. Mm-hmm. And just that everyone who meditates, you kind of get into this where you're like, holy crap, what? wait a minute, that's not me thinking. What? <laughs> what's, what's doing that thinking? And like that type of yeah. just mind-blowing process yeah. uh, intrigued me. And so I just kept the practice up and learned uh, different modalities as I grew older and experienced uh, different things in my life. And it's truly been the most beautiful practice that I started. And I'm very grateful that I was introduced to it fortuitously. And so how did you transform to a practicer of meditation to a teacher of meditation? Mm-hmm. Great question. So you know, I used to teach. I taught high school English in New right. York for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And as I was teaching, I still kept my meditation practice up and people would ask me about it. They would either say, hey, you look really calm. Or I notice the way in which you react to, to any sort of stress is different than most people. Uh-huh. Or you seem really happy. Like I would get a lot of those questions, right? Uh-huh. Or like you asked me with, swimming, you know, how the heck do you go and run a Philadelphia marathon and run 10 miles after? Or how do you, you know, bike 100 miles when it's hailing outside? How do you do that? And I was like, I don't know. And then I realized, well, I think maybe meditation has something to do with it. Uh-huh. And so I would share it with some people. And, and then with my students, I would share how meditation could help them with test taking, with handling stress. And around that same time, I became aware that more and more people were talking about the benefits of meditation. It was around that time where meditation was introduced into the professional world, not anything to do with spirituality, but simply as a way to combat stress Mm -hmm. and just be focused and to quote, be better workers. And so it was, people were talking about it. They knew that I did it. They had asked about it. And just like most teachers, you just start teaching it and I would teach it to my students And then I taught it to fellow faculty. And then I shared them online. And Insight Timer was kind enough to ask me to put my meditations on there. And I love that platform. They're really, they've done amazing work. And thankfully now meditation is out there and people are able to listen to them. So how did your, how did your students respond? Well, the thing about meditation that's interesting, right, is it's a very general term. It's Mm -hmm. kind of like exercise. 
Right. People go, I'm going to go, you know, you don't, you don't go, I'm going to go exercise today. I mean, maybe you do, but then the next follow-up question is, well, what are you going to do? Right. There's so many different ways to exercise the physical body. Well, same thing with meditation. There's several, there's, there's many different types of meditation and they each have different, uh, a different purpose and a mm -hmm. different outcome. Mm -hmm. And so when it came to my students, it was very mind focused and it was more about using the breath to achieve what yogis call drishti, so mental focus. Mm -hmm. and, the, and so when you slow down your breath, Navy SEALs do this all the time as well. Uh, Mark Devine made it, he's a former Navy SEAL. He, he brought it kind of to the Navy SEAL world and shared it with the public more. But it's basically box breathing, where you slow down the breath, you hold it, and through that simple process of slowing down the breath, you get relaxed. And there's science behind it. The parasympathetic nervous system overrides the sympathetic nervous system. Right. But it doesn't matter. What matters is you feel better. Right. And when we don't feel the fight or flight like a tiger is about to try to kill us, we're able to do better work. And we're also able to just feel better, which right. is, I think, what a lot of people are after. We live in a very high stress kind of world where it doesn't take very much to have uh, to be, you know, overly saturated with stimuli. Right. So for students in school, I had a tremendous amount of students that suffered from extreme anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so I just said, Hey, I'm going to teach some meditation here. Who's interested. And the majority would raise their hands. And I said, if you're not, you can go over there. You can go to another room. I don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable, but this has worked and science says why it works. And I'd love to take you through it. And so I would teach them a five minute simple meditation before they would go into anything stressful. And wow, what a gift. And he reported that it was very helpful. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate what that. What a gift. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I think that they ought to teach that in every school starting at a very young age. Thankfully, more and more schools are starting to do it. You know, the Montessori and Waldorf school system has integrated it more so than the public school system in the United States. But uh -huh. it's getting more and more popular. And, you know, as more school leaders and teachers uh, practice just on their own, right. meditation is sort of making its way into mainstream culture. And thank goodness, it's a wonderful, wonderful practice. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, this is the thing that we don't have much experience with, generally speaking. Most mm -hmm. people grow up not knowing how to manage their own emotions, not knowing how to manage their anxiety. Right. Um, you know, and I think that's where all of the disconnect comes from and why there's so much reactivity going on in the world. <laughs> right? Right, right, right. So it's so meditation for from my perspective, it helps us close out or, you know, close off all of that noise and external stimuli and really just puts you in the present moment. Completely. Yeah, absolutely. That's I couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah. So what a beautiful gift, not only to give yourself, you know, so that you can manage your own internal well-being, but mm -hmm. for you to have that presence so that you, you affect people because your energy is, you know, calm and peaceful and loving and understanding and accepting. Oh, and yeah. when you show up as that, then other people are like, Wow, what's he got that I don't got? 
Completely. And, and then there's the other element too, that it really helps you evolve as yeah. a being in this world. Right. And as, and that's something, and that's what I do in my current work now is I believe that just like Maslow and, and others have talked about that we can continuously expand yes. uh, our consciousness and the way in which we show up in the world. And that evolution is not something that happens over 20,000 years, as much as it's something that happens in our own life with the choices that we make. Well, and, that, and I think that that's a really interesting point too, because there are a lot of people who don't make those choices, mm -hmm. you know, for whatever reason. I mean, that's one of my like eternal questions is like, why do some people choose to, to evolve, evolve? I mean, I guess we're all sort of evolving at different paces, but you know, why are some people more conscious about doing their own internal work so that they can become the fullest expression of themselves? Yeah, I think that's part of the spiritual journey. And I wonder that same question myself. You know, uh, I don't think anyone should ever push anyone to evolve or to, yeah. to, to expand. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 to me, I want people to be happy. Right. And for me and, and others that, that I work with, that is what makes them happy. You know, as a kid, it was just always this concept of what can I learn here in this life? Uh -huh. What a gift for me uh -huh. to be here. Uh -huh. And so it's through these practices, just like we, you know, keep the body going, right? We work out throughout the day to not only elongate our life, but also so that when we show up in the world, we're able to be stronger, right? Mm -hmm. And the same thing with the mental focus as well. As we age, we're able to continue that focus, which then helps us be better people and, and also do greater work. Mm -hmm. And then the same thing for me, you add in the element of spirituality and it's just utterly beautiful. I love the, the things that I learn and then uh, seeing others uh, integrate their own worldview into this spiritual understanding of why they're here. And mm -hmm. I think when people do that, they, become better people, people and do greater work. And then we as an entire species evolve and, and right. how beautiful is that? Right. It's like, it's like our, when we expand ourselves, it mm -hmm. helps other people expand. It like gives permission for other people to go out of their box of shoulds and responsibilities. And this is how, you know, this is the only way that I know how to define my life. And so it, it, it allows people to open themselves up to greater possibilities of, you know, I mean, the universe is so huge and there's infinite potential within all of us. Oh, completely. Absolutely. And um, there's, there's many different ways we can go from this, but just simply put, uh, there's a lot that we all can learn in this life. And you said it earlier, you talked about reactivity uh -huh. and that I think, uh, at least at where I am uh, on my journey is the greatest teacher. And so I, I love finding out what's pissing me off, what arouses <laughs> right. me, uh -huh. what, what gives me this pain of sadness. It's utterly fascinating. And through uh, like a shadow talk type of process with that, we're able to learn so much about ourselves. So, and I forget who said it, one, who, who said it, but it was something along the lines like, if everyone would just understand their own reactivity, we would stop projecting our own fears yes. and anxieties on other people. And my God, what a beautiful world that would be. Yeah. 
Yeah. Especially I, when it comes to relationship, right? Exactly. Like, so, exactly. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So often. That's I mean, why, that's why I got divorced oh. because there was so much reactivity and mm-hmm. not a lot of internal reflection. And, right. and, and I think that that happens in many, many relationships, whether or not they stay together, you know, <clears throat> or, or split up. Um, because it's that, it's that being self-aware, you know, taking yourself out of your monkey mind, finding your triggers, and this will be a perfect segue into going to what you teach, right? About the exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, but really becoming that observer mm-hmm. instead of, instead of saying you did this or whatever, it's like, Hmm, what does this remind me of? What am I feeling right now? Why am I being triggered? And what do I need? What do I need um, from, from the other person? But what do I need for myself? What do I need to calm myself down and figure this out and process it? And that's one of the beautiful things when you have a good relationship is mm-hmm. that the other partner can just bear witness to your own process mm-hmm. and still stand by you and support you and, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And the one thing that I'll, that I'll throw in there is, we don't teach this stuff. You know, you mentioned earlier, why don't, why don't we teach meditation? Well, yeah. we don't teach that, but we also really in school, we don't teach uh, the human experience. Yeah. Well, what are these, well, what's this emotional experience that I'm having here? We, we just sort of, I mean, this is something that I find is so hysterical, right? There, um, the emotional experience is like the one thing with life and death that we all as humans experience, but yet we don't really learn what it is we don't learn how to uh make it like synthesize it into our life right right? and my work right now is mostly with men and this is something that men in particular are not taught how 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 to handle uh Uh it's shamed particularly for men for most men and women too but for men in particular it really is something that is stripped away at a very young age Mm -hmm. and so then when we're older all we know is reactivity. We're not even consciously aware of the reactivity. I mean, the first step is becoming aware of the trigger. Right. And then you learn how to actually re- re- change your behavior. But in terms of coming to that moment, that moment of awareness that, oh, I'm being reactive right now, that takes a lot of inner work and mm-hmm. inner cultivation to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about it like it's this really simple thing, but there's many small steps to get yeah. to that level. But eventually the hope is that when you're to use the situation, the image that we brought up before, when you're with your loved one, which that's where reactivity is certainly at its, at its highest. Most often you're able to then say, Whoa, I'm being triggered right now. Like interesting. And you're able to breathe through that process and feel Mm -hmm. it. And the hope is that, and this is how I would certainly define real love is the hope that your partner would then, hold that space with you mm-hmm. and without shame, without mm-hmm. reactivity of his or her own, without judgment, without criticism. Right. Yeah. Be there, be there with you. Right? right. And you both evolve not only as a couple, but you also evolve as independent beings as well. Yeah. That's that, that is it. <laughs> that is it, Mark. <laughs> so right, right. Well, it's so easy. Why don't we all just do it all the time? Exactly. Super simple. <laughs> but most, I mean, 
we don't teach it in school because most of us don't know how to do it. Right. No, it's not. Well, it's not easy. So I mean, when we learn how to do it for ourselves, yeah. and this is why you and I are showing up and people who are doing this type of work, it's like, I, I know in my own marriage, I had a lot of reactivity for a long time. And then I was like, who in the hell have I become? Because I do not recognize her. I don't like her. She's not very pretty on the inside. Sure. And so that was, that was my, you know, light bulb that was like, I need to figure this out for myself because mm -hmm. I want to create my own sense of peace because I am not experiencing that in my relationship. Yes, I, I resonate very much with what you're saying there. So yeah. first yeah. of all, I just want to just take a moment and just acknowledge that you decided to take that step. Uh, I'm sure you've been told this many times, but that takes a lot of courage. That's beautiful. Thank you very much. It did take a lot of courage. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. So do you want to, do you want to share with us how you help people go through that process sure, of managing absolutely. their, their emotional triggers? Sure. So there's a, are you familiar with the concept of shadow? Yes. Okay. So the way that I often teach shadow is this, that there's parts of us that we're not even aware of that actually are the drivers behind a lot of our actions and our reactions. Right. So the shadow talk process is becoming aware of those other people that are at that table and obtaining an intimate relationship with them so that they're still fed, but they don't take control, right? Mm -hmm. And the easiest way that I find to come to that is becoming aware of that which triggers you. And so... Uh, it simply is anytime you go out throughout the day, it's, it's a reflective process and there's a handout that I'll, uh, or an exercise uh, handout that I'll, I'll send to you. You can give to your listeners if you'd like. Okay. And what it is, is you become aware of that which triggered you and you take a look and you go, okay, how much energy, how, how, how much of a trigger was that, right? Was it positively energizing? So like arousal? Is uh -huh. that one, right? Like that person really turned me on or this really turned me on uh -huh. or this brought me incredible excitement, right? Those would be our golden shadows. And then you have the things that completely were, you know, completely de-energizing. The amount of energy, they were like that punch to the gut that just made us feel horrible, right? Mm -hmm. And so becoming aware of those, first of all, is number one. So you just go throughout your day and any time that you become aroused, that you feel joy, that you feel anger, that you feel sadness, whichever it is, you just call attention to it. Mm -hmm. And then you go through a very simple process that has three steps. You talk to it, and this could be journaling. You could simply just write it out if you'd like. It helps if you have a coach or, or a therapist or uh, a friend who is, is on this journey with you to talk it out. Uh, uh-huh. Heads up, the stuff that you say is always interesting. So do make sure it's in a safe space, right? Right. You can always burn the paper after if you'd like. After <laughs> but you simply talk to it and you engage in a dialogue. So step one is speak to it. Mm -hmm. And this should be uncensored. This should be as fast as possible. 
So I often like uh, speaking it or writing it. But in a way, if you're going to write it, you don't worry about grammar. You don't worry about right. spelling. You just type it away or you handwrite and it becomes almost automatic, right? So right. The, it's no sensor. No, not at all. And it yeah. needs to be completely like that. So you talk to it and you see what comes up. And oftentimes it's kind of surprising, right? Then you switch role. You switch the role and you become that charge. You become that shadow and you speak from it to you. So it's the exact same thing, right? You write it or you speak it, but it's mm -hmm. from the perspective of that which gave you an emotional charge. Okay. Can you give me an, can you give me an example of how you would talk to, I don't know, what do you want to choose? Fear or anger or? Sure. Yeah. So we'll do one that I just did the other day. Actually. Okay. Okay. So I was talking with someone and what really triggered them was the cost of going to an event. It was a conference over the weekend. They thought that the person was really jipping people and they were just really angry about it. Right. Uh -huh. And I was like, Oh, interesting. This is great. Okay. And maybe that's true, by the way, maybe that that person was charging a ridiculous amount and was jipping people, but that's not the point. Right. The point is, is why did it make you feel this way? Uh -huh. So we engaged in this three-step process, talk to it, talk from it, and then integrate it. And so through talking to it, it was like what you would expect of anger, a lot of swear words, a lot of like, how dare you? Uh -huh. but then what Who do you think you are? Totally. But then what happened is then the person thought about a moment in their life where they were gypped. Uh -huh. And all of a sudden it brought up this memory of like, crap, that time when I was 13 and I gave that homeless person this money and I saw them get into a Porsche later on and I had been screwed and they oh. felt as if, uh, you know, that their, their integrity was completely destroyed. So they had like this, you know, uh, I'm going to be the hero. I'm going to stop everyone from uh -huh. doing anything like that in, in uh -huh. the world. And, and this is a side note, but oftentimes there's a drama triangle, the Kaufman drama triangle, right? Rescuer, persecutor, victim. Yeah. Yeah. So the person engaged in this dialogue with, uh, with the shadow. The emotional charge and found that out so that was neat but then they came back and spoke on behalf of the of the shadow and well this is what was really interesting right what the person ended up actually saying is hey this is something that i really value and i'm charging this much because this is what i believe it's worth and mm -hmm. i believe that what i'm going to give to these people is actually something that is really going to help them and this is the value point that i put on it transformative goes, yeah and then what was interesting is the the person had realized that um, the reason that they were reactive is that was actually twofold. It was, it was two kind of epiphanies for that person. Number one is they had realized that they had this like sensor where it was anytime that there's someone that screws someone else over, I am going to try and protect those victims uh -huh. by hurting the persecutor <clears throat> and be the hero. Right. But in doing so, you're unconsciously stopping blocking yourself from actual opportunities that you had. Because the second part, which is interesting, is that person was financially struggling. Oh, right. And so then the money drama triangle kind of came in. Uh -huh. And the person realized that, you know what? I'm actually pissed off because I want to be on that freaking stage. <laughs> right. Like, and that person goes, Shh, can I swear here? I, I, yeah, I, you I, can I, swear. Okay. You can say whatever you want. I, I, uh, yeah. So the person said, oh, shit, <laughs> I'm not showing up in the way that I want to show up in this world. Ta-da! And then, exactly. And, and, and this is a very common kind of situation. This wasn't 
you know, this isn't anything I haven't heard before, but it doesn't matter. What matters is to that person, it was an epiphany. Yeah. And so then they walked out of that simple exercise going, okay, now I'm aware of my wanting to be the hero. And I'm aware that I didn't really process that pain that I felt at 13. But at the same point in time, I'm aware that, you know what? I want to be on the stage because I actually have a message and I want to help these people. Mm. And so then that person started in that beautiful process going, okay, what can I do? How can I serve? Who do I want to serve and how do I want to serve them? Very similar to why we're here on this podcast, right? Uh, yeah. You shared a little bit about why you started this podcast. It wasn't because, you know, it's because I want to make a million dollars and, and this is going to be really easy. No, <laughs> you did it because you had a group of people that you wanted to help and you also felt a part of you wasn't being served or rather it wasn't being, you weren't being serving. completely, right. You, you weren't yeah. serving in, in, in the capacity that you could. Right. And so it's no, 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 you know, not a surprise to me that you created this and you're getting great listeners and you're interviewing your, you know, the, the interviews. Great, great guests. So, well, thank you. But it, th- th- and this is what happens, right? And so yeah. through this awareness, you, you take a shift and oftentimes you really step into a greater sense of the purpose, a greater sense of connection, not only to those you want to serve in your life, but also to yourself. Yeah. And when we keep doing that, it's pretty great. It's like amazing. There's, there is, there's nothing I like more than having 10 people at my dinner table. and We're having a great conversation and everyone's talking about what is on fire in their life. Exactly. You know, but it takes a lot of work to get there. And so uh, through this type of process, we're able to all get there. And one thing I just want to say real quick before we, we transition is this is not a one like one time you're done type of thing. I know. I always say, "Oh, no. wave my magic wand and poof." Yeah, <laughs> it's. I mean, even with me, like it, you know, and this is what I love about being the teacher or the coach, right? It's like, no, I got a lot of shit that I'm working on too, and exactly. Like, you know, I'll wake up in the morning and I'll have this dream that triggered that had an emotional charge in it, and I'll I'll explore, you know, the the shadow talk process with it. I'll talk to it. I'll talk from it, and then I'll realize, oh, there's something that I need to integrate whether it was a boundary that I had slipped on or whatever it is. So this is a constant process. Yeah. But what's kind of cool is as you get used to it, it becomes just like meditation. It becomes a habit. Right. And so it's a new kind of tool as you go throughout life. And it helps you not only be a better person for yourself, but to your authentic self, but also to those that you interact with. Exactly. So, so this part of you know you overcoming your triggers and figuring out uh, you know what you need to learn how you need to grow and evolve i want to talk about the work that you did uh this past weekend because you talked sure. about the power of forgiveness and that's a big one for me as well so i want to hear how you came you know what experience did you have in your life that um helped you learn how to forgive and therefore teach about the power of forgiveness. Mm, how much one. time do we have? It's a big one. As much time as we need. <laughs> so uh, I'll say a few things and feel free to ask me other questions to go deeper okay. into it. Because uh, this was, this was a, a longer talk. Mm-hmm. But I told the story this weekend about uh, my father. Mm-hmm. And this was a very long journey. And what was beautiful about sharing this story, though, on Saturday, this past Saturday, November 16th, was this was a year after my father passed away. I, 
I, I realized that. So I am so and, sorry for your loss, but I totally oh, honor you, you by showing up in the way that you're showing up. It's amazing. Well, to me, Don, it was just one of those, uh, you know, synchronicities. Carl Young called it synchronicities, right? So it was just so beautifully, quote, coincidental that I just said, thanks. Like, you know, I just gave like a, a hug and a kiss to my dad that morning. And I said, you know what? I see you. You're, you're showing up again in my life. Like, this is just awesome. And it felt, made me feel connected to God. It was really. Mm. Um, so I talked about the power of forgiveness and I, I, I shared the story of my father. And uh, again, I'm going to summarize here. Uh, uh, with the understanding that through summary, we kind of lose the emotional value of, of the story. But in short, uh, my father was an alcoholic. He uh, was not a good father. Uh, you know, I shared a story of how my first memory uh, with my father as a kid was me waking up to yelling. Uh, anyone mm -hmm. who was raised in a house with domestic violence, you know what this is. I had heard screaming and I heard a loud crash. Mm -hmm. And so I walked out of my bedroom, walked into the hallway and I stepped on a piece of glass and I screamed. And that's when my father and my mother saw me and I saw the blackness in my father's eyes. And I saw that he had thrown the coffee pot at my mother and called her uh, a stupid effing Pollock. Mm -hmm. And this was something that happened many times throughout, uh, throughout my childhood. That must've so, been really scary for you. It was. It was completely. Yeah. And, and so there were a couple other instances and eventually my mother uh, divorced my father because my sister and I actually kind of staged an intervention and we said, Hey, Ma, he's not treating you the way you should be treated. Like this isn't okay. And you don't need to do this. And at that point in time, uh, there was still quite a stigma around divorce. Mm -hmm. And my mother was not a college graduate and she never had a professional job after she had us, uh, you know, she got us as kids where my sister and I are both adopted. Mm -hmm. And, but we said, so she was afraid, how am I going to make money for this family? And I said, I don't know. I remember, I remember this conversation like it was yesterday. How I, we old were you, by the way? I was in, uh, so I was, I think, you know, I, I, I know what I was wearing, <laughs> but I don't remember the exact age. <laughs> I think it was around fifth or seventh grade, like around that time. Okay. Yeah. And so what is that? 10, 13, something? 10, 11, 12. Yeah. yeah. Like really and when you're so, starting to find your voice. Uh-huh. Oh, completely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so we, 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 my mother eventually divorced my father and just like we often see, is when someone sets up a boundary, she set up, an, she set up a boundary and she said, I don't stand for this behavior. Mm -hmm. It changed my father and it got him to look into a mirror and say, who am I? What the hell am I doing? Mm -hmm. And so he thankfully joined AA mm -hmm. and it was through, it wasn't just a couple week process. It took several years, but eventually I saw that he's trying, he was working. But the reason that I, went down this path of forgiveness is the last time I saw my father before my mother divorced him was, uh, again, he had said a horrible thing to my mother and I was practicing shaving, but it was with like a plastic razor, uh -huh. and, you know, it was like, okay, it's like <laughs> pretend, you know, getting everything uh -huh. really thinking that there's hair and I'm shaving it. <laughs> and I ran out of the bed, I ran out of the bathroom and I saw my dad there. And I said, stop. 
And this when I was finding my voice, I said, you don't speak to us that way. And I raised my fist mm. and he looked at me and he said, go right ahead. I dare you. And I looked right into his eyes and all I saw was that same blackness I had seen when I was a younger boy. Mm -hmm. And it was immediately right there where I said to myself, it was like this insight, insight moment where I said, what the heck happened to this man that got him to be like this? Like wow. he looked sad. He looked, I just felt immediate. Just, I felt, I just felt really bad for him. I gave him, I just felt pity. Uh -huh. And so I let my fist down and then I walked away. And that's what sort of started it. I, I started this internal inquiry of like, why did my dad, like what happened to him? Mm -hmm. And I had realized that that's how he was raised as well. My real only memory with my grandfather, his father was when I was jumping on his couch and uh, my grandfather had said, listen, you little shit, get off the couch. Mm -hmm. And I had realized he was just repeating the behavior that he had learned. And, you know, yeah. as a licensed therapist, you know, these things like, yeah. This is often the case. Right. So he wasn't even aware that he was doing this and he drank just like my grandpa did. And this is the archetype of what men have been going through for a couple hundred years, if not longer now. And this is part of the work that I and other men's coaches throughout the world are doing. We're stopping that. We're saying we're going to change course. We're going to bring back the father archetype that has been lost. And we're going to raise each other and raise our boys like real beautifully modern men that are emotionally integrated and powerful. And so, um, and so, yeah, that started the, the road to forgiveness and, and I learned, uh, you know, how to do that. And, and I'll go into a next part of the story if you'd like, but it looked like you had a question for me. No, I was, I was just thinking when you were talking about him, it's these men mm -hmm. who carry this pain within them, you know, from, from their childhood yeah and they don't know mm -hmm. how to manage their emotions and process their emotions. They haven't had an outlet to express right. and share. And um, so they carry this pain. They don't know how to, how to deal with it or what to do with it. So all they do is fall into these old patterns and project and they're triggered. And it's, mm -hmm. you know, probably yep. in that moment when you were with your dad, he probably saw his dad do the same thing, you know? So, so yep. for, for, yep. for somebody to, to help them wake up to their own, you know, I see you suffer. And this is why I think it's so important for forgiveness because instead of looking at the external you like really have to look into somebody's heart and soul mm -hmm. and have compassion for them. Yeah. So it starts, it certainly starts with compassion. It, it definitely did with my father. Mm -hmm. And then, so what, what I shared on, on this past Saturday is, is three steps to forgiveness. Feel it, mm -hmm. speak it, let it go. And, and this is based off of my own story, but also studying the Buddhist concept of forgiveness and, and others. And the first step, feel it, is actually acknowledge the pain, mm -hmm. right? And uh, um, I have a, a feeling your listeners have probably read the book, The Body Keeps the Score. I and actually haven't. I haven't read that one. Oh, okay. Well, it's just, it's just a, it's a great book, but it's the concept that our body actually has memory. Yeah. And so traumas that we go through 
the body has them stored. They're stored. And, yeah. so, and simply what's in, and, and, and people go, oh, that's all woo woo. What, what are you talking about? I go, oh yeah. Interesting. So tell me about a time in your life that you went through trauma or you had a bad experience. And now imagine let's say that it was a person that did it. Now imagine that they're in the room with you. Mm. Immediately what happens yeah. is all of a sudden, yeah. The, yeah, you start getting, Exactly right. You start the body heart palpitates, the breathing yeah. restricts. Yeah, and so or constricts. So the body always feels as if it's the present. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if the like with my father, and for instance, it doesn't matter if what he did was 15 years ago. When I see that man, my body all of a sudden starts getting tight. Yeah, and so you acknowledge the pain, and there's breath work for is what I teach. That is, I think one of the most valuable tools to be able to tap into the emotional body and express whatever that emotion is that's stored, whether it was tears or anger, whatever it is. Uh, there's also other elements like EFT tapping and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So step one is to feel it. So acknowledge like I was hurt right. and then to actually really allow yourself to feel the pain and the way that you feel it is through the expression of the emotion. Step two is speak it. So whether it's to the person that hurt you, if that person's not safe, like, and I don't want anyone to go and go and right. speak your mind to someone that hurt them and then all of a sudden get hurt again. No, you right. can literally just write it out. It doesn't matter. It's just you have to put words to it. Right. So writing it out is totally fine. And by speaking it, it's acknowledging the pain, acknowledging how they hurt you, and then setting up a new boundary. I will no longer tolerate this behavior. Right. With my father was, I will no longer tolerate you speaking these words in my, in my, you know, with, in my presence Uh about me, about my mother, about my sister. So if you want to spend time with us again, you can't speak like that. Mm -hmm. And so that was the boundary. So you speak it with setting up a boundary. If you want to continue a relationship with them. The third part is letting it go. And that's the hardest. It's the easiest to talk about, but it's the hardest. Yeah. And that's, that's the part that you just can't hold on to that stuff because when the, lo- the longer that we stuff stuff in, the longer that we stay in the past, the more that we live our lives from a sunk cost perspective. And yeah. that doesn't help. Uh, it doesn't help us evolve. It doesn't help uh, others evolve. But what's beautiful is after we've done those three steps, you, you, you didn't spiritually bypass because the reason I bring that up is so often people just go to compassion and they go, I need to forgive. But if you just jump to forgiveness without processing it first and setting up a new boundary, you end up, that's how we end up getting, well, you know, becoming that nice person that gets walked over. Right. And that's not good. We right. don't want that to happen. So right. that's it. Yeah. I, I think, I think to a lot of people have a difficult time with forgiveness because they think, Oh, well that lets the other person off the hook. And it's like, that doesn't, that doesn't excuse their behavior. That doesn't justify their behavior. You know, their behavior was shit. If it was shit, you know what I mean? Um, but, but it lets you off the hook because you, by you holding on to it, the ways Mm -hmm. that they hurt you, it keeps you, like you said, back in the past. Um, you know, hanging on and it's like, it's like carrying all these heavy bags with you and, and until you let them go, um, you'll still be weighed down by it, you know? So it's not, forgiveness is never about the other person. It's mm-hmm. about you and you're releasing that emotional hold that they have over you. Completely. And I was lucky 
I luckily was able to have a happy ending to the story mm. because after forgiving my father, mm -hmm. uh, he started, to, he said, I love you. And he started to really do his own processing. And this is now, you know, so we were able to develop uh, a very different kind of relationship, but it was very loving uh -huh. to where when he passed away on November 16th of last year, uh, I, my sister, my mother, and his sister, my brother-in-law, we were all holding hands as mm -hmm. my father had a stroke and he lost his physical movement mm -hmm. and his breathing. We took him off the breathing tube and, so his breathing was natural, but it slowly, slowly diminished. And we all held hands singing uh, Johnny Cash's May the Circle Go Un or Be Unbroken. And we're all Aww. weeping hysterically. Yeah. The hospital staff is oh, coming in. Oh, my gosh. They're probably but, all weeping, too. Yeah. And what was beautiful, though, is my father came into a life without love. Uh -huh. And when he left this physical world and he went into the next phase, whatever your belief structure is mm -hmm. he left with love oh, tremendous wow. love wow and i and i think that and that would not have happened if i didn't go down the, the difficult road of forgiveness if my mother mm -hmm. didn't if my sister didn't mm -hmm. and what's pretty amazing dawn is uh, about three weeks later my father started coming into my dreams mm -hmm. uh, almost exactly to how the, the Tibetan Book of the Dead talks about it. And there's one particular uh, moment where my father had come into my dream. I became lucid, aware that I was dreaming, and there was my father there. Mm -hmm. And he was in his army outfit. He had served in Vietnam. And he was pointing to the flag that I have in my closet uh, that is this veteran's flag. Mm -hmm. And so I got out of my bed. This is me in my dream still. And go to stand in front of him. And he apologizes to me again. And he goes, you know, now I see how, how bad I was as a father. Mm -hmm. I, I see the things that I did. And I'm really sorry. He goes, but I'm really happy that I'm, be, I'm able to be here now. And I'm going to be the best damn dad I can be Aww. from this point of view. And I'm going to be there when you have kids. I'm going to be there when your kids have kids. And it was this beautiful moment where I all of a sudden went, <gasps> and I wake up out of, the, out of my dream. And my wife wakes up startled and I go, you have no idea what just happened. Wow. And again, it was one of those moments in my life where I went, holy shit, this is an amazing experience, this life. Profound. And I felt connected to spirit, connected to God and just um, felt really lucky that my father uh, came in and shared that with me. And, uh, and, I, and I don't think any of that would, happen, would have happened if I didn't uh, go down the difficult road for forgiveness. Yeah, it's, it's all part of the love. Mm -hmm. It's all part of the love and connection that we all um, were born into. It's like, I feel like that love and connection um, existed before our physical bodies came into, you know, came onto this yeah. earth. And yeah. our whole life is about learning how to experience that love and connection, you know, with the people around us, with the people that we connect with through our lives and the people that we carry with us when our physical body leaves. Completely. Yeah. That's what beautifully a, said. What a beautiful gift that you gave your father and your father gave you and the rest of your family. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. So how, how have you learned to transform those gifts into your relationship with your wife? Hmm. 
It's a great question. Oh, well, I think what I'll, I'll, I'll talk about here is the concept of transformation through intimacy. Okay. And so we can connect, uh, we can connect the dots here more. So if it doesn't make sense, the way that I'm connecting those, I, so often there's a million things that happen. I know you're like, Woo! all the but synapses exactly. are firing. <laughs> right. So what's, there's a whole nother journey that we didn't even talk about, but in essence, it went from where my wife and I got married. Uh, she unfortunately got sick with Lyme disease and I watched yeah. her go from uh, running a half marathon. I'm cheering her on to practically within months pushing her in a wheelchair. I'm sure that was so, devastating for both of you. Oh, oh my God, completely. We, yeah. we, we both had teaching jobs. We both, uh, you know, you know, had everything that you would think that you would want, right? Uh -huh. Like the safe job, the, the, the meaningful job, you know, all that stuff, the uh -huh. loving relationship. And then here we are going, but well, we can't, you know, when we come home, it was a, it was a sad, dark feeling. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very, very long journey. But, uh, in essence, um, I went down this journey where I, uh, took me a very long time. I'm a, I was a very stubborn man <laughs> to actually <laughs> to actually start to feel. I had numbed everything. Mm, yeah. Right. Well, and do you probably went into fixing mode? How can we fix this? I did that for a long time, and then I yeah. eventually had to say, "There's nothing I can do." Yeah. It was it was that, that very very much the punch in the face over several years that uh -huh. I think I as a spirit needed to. To grow, to grow through, to be able to become who I am. Now. You, you mean I have to but, give up control? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. It's still, it's still difficult to be clear. Uh -huh. So, but but throughout this whole process, my wife and I, when we moved out here to San Diego two and a half years ago, uh, and and we came out here for the healing atmosphere, uh, I had remembered something I had learned when I was younger, where there was some healing. Like the Mediterranean used to be looked at as a healing space for those a that blue were blue zone, right? Yeah, it was. It was like where people in England, when they were really sick, they would go to the Mediterranean climate as uh -huh. a last ditch effort to heal. And there was something about the healing air, and the uh -huh. Persian culture talks about it as well. Uh -huh. So San Diego is a Mediterranean climate. We came out here, and the weather certainly had a, a very uh, positive impact on my wife's healing. So uh, as she started to heal again, uh, or she started to heal we got to a point where we were actually able to uh, start life again. Hmm. This is after about seven years. You know, the day-to-day -day wow. was not, was not, did you take, how many pills did you take? You know, how were you feeling? What, what, you know, it, it wasn't that, it, it, the, our day-to-day -day was not all around the narrative of my wife is sick. How does, how do we get through this? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And I also was, was, you know, burst open with, this emotional sensation again and feeling the world. So we looked at each other one day and, and it was actually right to my left here. I'm in, I'm in my living room. And uh, there's a photo that I have when her and I met in college, actually. Mm -hmm. and we've been together now 15 years. And I looked at that photo and I looked at her and I saw that photo and I go, who is that guy? <laughs> <laughs> he's got great hair <laughs> who is that guy who is that like you just look so young and just so naive and innocent and just bubbly yeah, yeah and then my wife looked at it too and said who's that and then we looked at each other and we go who are we like we had grown through this mm -hmm. terribly difficult journey mm -hmm. 
And we looked at each other, go, who are we now? We're still kind of in this, in this stage. But as we go throughout the day, whenever we, again, going back to the reactivity, we call attention to it. And when we, you know, become reactive ourselves, we're getting better at actually, instead of having to go to another room to process, we breathe into it and we hold space for it. We say, wow. And we acknowledge the energy because here is the most amazing thing to me is when I learned to reframe emotion as energy, it's changed my entire life. Mm -hmm. And I go, you feel that? And she goes, yeah. And I'm like, wow. And then we talk about it and what ends up happening. And and usually I'm sorry, we don't talk about it. We breathe and Mm -hmm. we establish eye contact and we try to do a hundred breaths all together if we're able to do that. Wow. And through, through that type of uh, connection, uh, it usually breaks right through to the need that's not being met or some really loving conversation where we're able to connect instead of disconnect. It's not easy, to be clear. It's not all rainbows and unicorns. But what no. ends up happening is her and I engage in just a, a, a really old uh, I become more aware of myself. She becomes more aware of herself. And then we evolve the relationship uh, moving forward. So can you repeat been, that? Can you repeat that again, Mark? Because my internet wobbled right as you were saying. Sure. That. I think what I said is, so I become, uh, so I evolve as myself and she evolves as herself. And then we also evolve the relationship from that experience. Uh-huh. The, the piece right before that, when you said, you're, um, mm-hmm. you breathe, uh, you try to breathe a hundred times and yeah. it, it sounds, yeah. it sounds like it's really coming back to the present moment and Completely. just being yeah. right. Well, because we're so this, this life is so beautiful, right? We're so complex. We're physical beings. We're emotional beings. We're spiritual, spiritual beings, beings psychological and beings. Totally. And yeah. so anytime that Anytime that we're able to authentically be present with the other person mm-hmm. and it's through eye contact, it's through breath that we're able to do so. It's such a loving moment that has tremendous power. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, it's really, really scary. Like, I don't course. know anything. I don't know anything <sighs> scarier than holding space with someone and being fully present with how I really feel and expressing what it is that I really feel. Because so often we, it, it goes into fear, we're gonna be abandoned uh-huh. or, or, or whatever is the story that we have going on. It's and being completely vulnerable. It is, and, it's, and, and the opportunity there though is astronomical. And so, Again, tying back to the concept of real love is when you're, and it's, it's this real love too, platonically too, with friends, if you're able to get to this. I, with, with the men that I work with, this is actually, like I held a men's circle, a men's fire circle two nights ago. And this is what we were talking about. It's the same thing is showing up, but with the presence of other men is ridiculously powerful for a lot of men. The en- yeah. Well, it's the energy where two or three are gathered. You know, it's like, it just expands, makes it so much bigger and more powerful. Yes. Right. Right. And then it allows you to really gain a relationship with your authentic self. So Mm -hmm. with my wife and I, uh, when we're 
when, when we're in a reactive state or we have something like that and we're not all the time, but when we're able to then breathe, have eye contact and engage in this uh, type of dialogue, it's, it's ridiculously beautiful. What I want to share real quick though, I'm feeling called to is uh, a new morning ritual that my wife and I did start is where we start off the day uh, with 100 breaths. And we simply just sit cross-legged across from each other and we find an eye to look into, the left eye or the right eye. And we just breathe 100 times, but in unison. And it's uh, absurdly powerful. So as one simple exercise, if your listeners are open to it, it's with your partner, try to do that. And uh, just, just try it. You'll see what happens. It's really scary. Not everyone can do it. It needs to be a safe partner. Yes. But... Even if, but it's just so beautiful because that even brings up the question, I don't feel safe with my partner. Well, then there's so much to work on right there. Yeah. (laughs) Right? The goal though is that if you eventually, both of you are able to get to that stage and you're able to hold eye contact for that long, it takes anywhere from three to five minutes typically, Uh you, you breathe together and it's just, it's really connecting. It's really loving. And here is the thing that I love with my heart so much is that when you feel that connected with your loved one, I don't care what else happens to me throughout the day because my rock is as solid as possible, you know? Yeah. And so anything else happens, it doesn't even, doesn't even shake me at all. Whereas before doing this type of work, uh, it would have been a lot easier to be triggered and to become overly reactive. Of course, because you know that your partner is your safe place. <laughs> right, right, right. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah. one of the things I know. Um, I, I learned about eye gazing when I was getting my master's degree. Um, I read Passionate Marriage. I don't know. That's an old, old uh, textbook snarch. Um, but he talked about eye gazing and, you know, being present with your partner, mm-hmm. both outside the bedroom and inside the bedroom. And I remember oh, yeah. there were a few moments where my ex and I used to do that and it did make mm-hmm. us feel so close mm-hmm. um, and connected mm-hmm. uh, because that's what happens in that reactivity. You disconnect, you mm-hmm. don't feel each other at all. You know, you feel completely like on your own alone. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I had this experience a couple years ago on an airplane. I was a passenger and I sat next to this guy. He's one of my good friends now. I did, you know, I didn't know him. I just met him on the airplane Mm -hmm. and we had this, I swear to you, probably 10 to 15 minute eye gazing. We had been talked, we had talked, it was like from Chicago to LA. So we had four and a half hours to have this big conversation. And we did this eye gazing for whatever reason, we were both just drawn to do it. And for 10 to 15 minutes, we didn't move. You know, it was just so powerful and profound and like mm-hmm. when we when we finally broke the gaze you know i'm sure people walk you know the flight attendants walking by must have been <laughs> who are these crazy people but yeah. when when we broke the gaze i said oh my gosh i feel so expansive mm-hmm. and he said i feel like my heart is going to burst mm-hmm and that's the type of feeling that you can get with your partner. How amazing is that? It's 
the the thing that I, I I love about it is I feel it is the most energizing and most powerful experience that we have. And you had mentioned uh-huh. in the bedroom as well. That's another conversation. But uh-huh. when you when you have sex with eye gazing and with connected breath, it is this godly experience. Exactly. Yeah. And it that's does why something. people say, "Oh God." <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it. But it does something, and we can get into the kundalini, we can get into the pranic life force and all of that, but by God, it just (laughs) expands Uh your presence and your consciousness. Uh And again, when we're able to to approach life and to walk through the world like that, Mm -hmm. I mean, my mind goes blank there because I don't know what that looks like if we all would do that. We all would do that. But by God, that would be profoundly beautiful if everyone walked through life like that. I, I, I can only imagine. My, I, my guest and I, uh, I did an interview yesterday and she said, it looks like world peace. Yeah, it would look like, I mean, yeah, definitely world peace. And then also just, <laughs> just I, I don't, love a big love fest. <laughs> yeah, it would, it would, it would be just great work. Great, great uh, new, new awarenesses that we, that we haven't, you know, yet, come come to understand i i I don't know there'd be world peace would certainly be a part of it and then what else it it would be incredible i think i think we would all feel like we were just floating you know because when because when you feel that connection when you feel that sense of safety and trust and security and peace and presence Mm -hmm. i mean like you said you could go out in the world and it doesn't really matter what's going on it's like you are you're living your truth Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I think it is. It's like, this is who I am. This is who I'm supposed to be at every <laughs> moment of every day. Yes, definitely. It's a beautiful, beautiful gift. You give yourself, you give your partner, you give people out in the world. Yeah. I, I wonder, that's where my mind starts to go into, okay, what is it like outside of the physical world? World, right like as spirits uh-huh. do we come in with contracts do we have lessons we have to learn whatever right. it is that's where i start to sort of really wonder yeah and uh, that's a whole nother concept we have a lot but, of conversations i think we yeah. need to have mark <laughs> but uh but that's but that that's one of the things that happens right you start through this type of work you start becoming aware of the assumptions that you had based on beliefs that uh, culture and your family mm-hmm. told you and you start questioning those. And then through questioning that, it opens up new possibilities for you. And then therefore, by extension, our culture as a whole. So yeah, it's pretty amazing. But let's just start with the eye gazing and breath. That's great. <laughs> One stroke at a time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> One step at a time. One step at a time. Right, right, right. So how um your wife must be completely uh into all of this personal development and growth and evolution as well you know it's funny don't you say that yes and no yes and no i i bird that flies out and constantly wants to explore new things and comes back with this. Oh my God, you need to see this. This is incredible. And yet what's interesting with my wife, it's almost as if she kind of already had these knowings uh-huh. and uh, I won't speak for her, and I, but I'm sure her journey 
through, uh, you know, growing healthier through Lyme disease. And anyone who has an invisible chronic illness um, can certainly, you know, understand that journey. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that has brought an incredible uh, amount of insight to, to, to her. Uh, with that said, my wife uh, now, because so, you know, uh, out of constraint is beautiful possibility. Right. And so where she used to be a music teacher, she now makes therapeutic grade healing jewelry with gemstones. I see. Yeah, she, I saw that. It looks beautiful. Yeah. And so she works with that. And then right across from me, I have uh, singing bowls. And so she plays mm -hmm. the singing bowls and sings and then works with the jewelry uh, and at the same point in time, she writes books as well. So uh, the amount of creativity that's come out of this experience, like literally not mm -hmm. being able to walk has spawned this incredible, uh, you know, wh wh where else to put the movement. And mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty, pretty amazing watching who she's growing into. It's, it's, uh, it's beautiful and inc an incredible turn on. I can just add that as well. Yeah, no, I think when, I think when you witness somebody, uh, you know, which is which is what Esther Perel talks about a lot, sure. um, yeah. Yeah. is that that desire, you know, when do you most desire your partner? It's like when I see them like living fully, like being Completely. joyful, like expressing all of the things that turn them on, then mm -hmm. that turns you on. When, when I, so my wife sells, uh, the, the, she usually sells mostly online, but uh -huh. she sells at a local farmer's market here in La Jolla in San Diego. And uh, she's got this, this community of women now that come to her for uh, their jewelry and then also jewelry for their friends. Uh -huh. And when I come back to the farmer's market to help her break down, uh, it's a huge turn on when I see her talk to a customer and she just becomes alive with, oh, this is tourmaline and tourmaline means this, or uh -huh. she'll talk about another gemstone. And I just go, damn, that woman is amazing. Uh -huh. And also, but on a subtle energetic level, I'm completely turned on with arousal and also just deep, deep love. Yeah. So when you feel alive, when you personally feel alive, mm -hmm. <clears throat> that's what attracts your partner to you. Oh yeah. Right? Completely. And vice completely. versa. It's like, yeah. if I, if I'm, if I'm, triggered and not dealing with my stuff and you know i mean that's like what's the matter you know so notice, like notice how you notice how your body even changed when you did that yeah i know went, like this and then to like a troll kind of like yeah like, I, and, shoulders, I, shoulders and i front. and i think that's i think that's part of that open heart you mm -hmm. know that yeah. that open heart that expansiveness that sense of joy and passion and aliveness and connection mm -hmm. uh with yourself with the divine with your partner. I mean, all mm -hmm. of that is part of the same thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what, a, I mean, it sounds like you guys have an amazing relationship. Not perfect. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you have issues. <laughs> <laughs> like anyone else. We, we certainly like anyone support, else, but, uh, but I am an incredibly, incredibly lucky man. And uh, the love that we've cultivated through this uh -huh. experience is uh, co-created really, Oh yeah, completely. It's, it's quite beautiful. Eventually, I, I want us to write a book on it for uh -huh, sure. Um, uh -huh. But uh, that's you know one step at a time. But yeah. I'm a very very lucky man. That's really really beautiful, Mark. Thank, Thank you. you so much for sharing uh, a lot of your story. I know that there's more. Like I I said to you before we started this, you know, mm -hmm. when I listened to to another uh, interview that you had and I read your work, it's like 
I have so many things to talk to you about. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk again. More, more, more. Like this is, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing because I want to have these conversations that help, you know, share, open up, give other people permission to do the same. So you've done really beautiful work internally and, um, and sharing with the rest of the world. So I commend you and honor you for all of the work that you're doing as well. I really appreciate that. Thank you, John. And, you know, it's so funny because uh, I think I first learned about podcasts like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's still incredible to me how, uh, you know, every week or so, there's a few people that I started with. I hear this. I started listening to this podcast, the first podcast I've listened to. And it's podcasts like yours that are reaching people that need to hear uh, this, these stories. And mm-hmm. uh, that's what I love about this world that we, we're living in now. I mean, it's the inverse of the, uh, the Renaissance, where the, it's not just a printed book. Mm-hmm. It's actually with the tools that you have right here with the podcast that yeah. you're able to reach people in you know, every part of the world, any place that has uh, an element of an internet connection, which is everywhere. So Uh I really honor you for doing that. And one thing I want to mention, by the way, is the stuff that we talk about on this show and your other episodes as well, it takes a serious level of skill. So because this, I mean, these are like a lot of quasi taboo areas for a lot of people, right? Uh I mean, like the bedroom being one of the the main one, but there's other elements as well, emotions by God, you know? So I really commend you for for being able to cultivate that type of platform where people feel safe to do that. And uh, your listeners are truly, truly lucky. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. That's one of the things that, you know, I have always tried to show up authentically. um, And I came from, my parents were very open and we had a lot of open communication. So I had a good foundation. uh, And that's why my relationship struggles were so challenging for me because I thought, wait a minute, I I know how to do this, I think, Mm -hmm. but I just Mm -hmm. couldn't make it happen with my partner. And Mm -hmm. so this is why I wanted to do this to, to help everybody realize, you know, we all have our struggles, we all have our challenges, but that doesn't mean that we should hide and pretend and be ashamed of them um, and judge ourselves for them. Uh, You know, so how do we come to this place of open hearted, connected, um, present, authentic, so that we can all help each other grow and evolve and create more real love in our lives? That's beautiful. Yeah. So, so your definition of real love, I mean, you said a a couple things. Mm hmm. What would you say? Yeah, that's a, you know, that, that, that's a, a great question. I think it's tough to put into a few words, but I would say real love is where you're able to really show up naked and not just in your physical body yeah. and feel comfortable, but also emotionally and spiritually with whatever it is that, that whatever it is you're showing up with at that present moment, when you're mm-hmm. able to be completely naked with the partner and that partner is naked in that context as well, uh-huh. that's, that's a powerful fucking place yeah like you know i just realized the irony of the the fucking word there but yes (laughs) yes that too it's it's and and i i don't use this i don't say this lightly like it is literally godly creation like we create beings through sex we also create 
new beings of ourselves yes. through subtle energetics. Yes. And so that to me is real love when it's this type of motion here. It's this expansive where we're growing and we're growing and we're growing uh -huh. as opposed to unfortunately like the, uh, you know, the household I grew up in where that type of love was closing doors, closing doors, shutting down, shutting down, shutting down. Mm -hmm. And that's not a powerful place to show up in the world because mm -hmm. the world is hard, right? Life is difficult. But when you have real meaningful love, like the love that we just described here, uh, you're powerful and you grow more powerful and you're able to then you know, spread that out to other people. Yeah, I, I call that uh, what you were referring to as naked and unashamed. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a great book title too, by the way. Yes, it will be. <laughs> it <laughs> no is. Pressure. It will. No, pressure. no, no. I mean, I've already been, I've, I've put a few videos out there about naked and unashamed and, That's great. I like and that. I like written, that. written a lot about, you know, showing up as your authentic self, no hiding, no pretending, mm -hmm. being who you really are yeah. and yeah. expressing love and, uh, you know, um, integrating both the masculine and feminine aspects of yourself and within mm -hmm. your partnership. I mean, this is all the stuff that, that I think mm -hmm. about, talk about that comes to me. I mean, yeah, it's beautiful. So we can, so hopefully, uh, you know, this is how we're trying to show up to help other people live their lives naked and unashamed. Looking forward to reading it. That's beautiful. Real love. Thank you so much, so much, Mark. You're an amazing, amazing guest, amazing man, um, amazing teacher. Mm, thank you. Appreciate that. Thanks yeah. so much for having me, Don. This has been great. Really appreciate yeah. it. How, uh, how do people get in touch with you if they want to find out mm -hmm. more about your work, to work with you, find out the things that you offer? Sure. Thank you so much. So, you know, it's funny. I have really had no interest interest in social media over the uh -huh. last couple of years. And uh -huh. so I would not suggest tweeting me, even though I do have a Twitter, uh -huh. uh, I would, I would go back to email. Uh, uh -huh. So my website is markwgway.me and you can just send me an email. It's M-A-R-K at markwgway.me and people can reach me there. And there's a contact form on my website too, for whatever reason they're uh -huh. not able to, to get through to me. And I check my email uh, at least once a day. So always happy to to hear from people and hear how my story impacts them and then take any questions that people have as well. Great. Um, okay. And so for all of you listeners, because I know that your minds are being blown right now after <laughs> listening to us, <laughs> I'm sure you have lots of thoughts, lots of questions, lots of things that you'll start considering mm -hmm. to, um, you know, working on your own stuff, breathing, being present, connecting, all of these great things that we talked about. So please subscribe to the Wake Up to Real Love podcast and share with all of your friends. I'd love any feedback that you have for, um, you know, like what you were talking about, Mark, any questions or something you want to process or whatever. Um, I love suggestions for future episodes. And also, if you want to connect with me, you can connect with me on Facebook and Instagram at The Awakening with Dawn. I do a lot of work with uh, overcoming heartbreak and betrayal, as well as helping people create more real love in their lives by living naked and unashamed. And so um, 
it all, it all comes down to, which I know that you know this and you teach this, is that the most important relationship you'll ever have is the one you have with yourself. It all starts with you. And when you show up to yourself being the best version of yourself, then that, you know, is the trickle effect in the water of your <laughs> swim or whatever you're doing. <laughs> So thank Absolutely. you. Thank you so much, Mark, for being here. You've been an amazing guest and I would love to have you on as much and as often as you would like. Looking forward to it. Thanks. All right. So Thanks listeners. And uh, every day wake up to more real love. We'll see you next time. Take care. Bye.